0: Hi, guys. Well, how are you doing? Good. All right. Good week. Good week. Bad week. It's not like we're going to get to really talk about it right now, but glad you guys are here. Uh, my name is Greg. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here at Outpost Community Church. Um, we're just, this is the Outpost. We are the church. It's just a group of people who want to follow Jesus. And uh, that's not an easy thing to do, following Jesus. Anybody found that to be true? All right. But for some reason, in Matthew 11, he says his yoke is easy, his burden is light, Um, And so he makes it light, but what does that mean? It's still hard to live and follow him because following him is contrary to the world, but the world is really enticing and kind of cute and uh, sometimes it tastes good, right? But it's not always what Christ calls us to. And we're trying to do this as a family. We're trying to be a group of people who are known for our love for one another, which makes us known as Jesus' disciples. And we're trying to do it in a culture that looks Christian, uh, but in a lot of ways doesn't acknowledge Christ as their Lord. Maybe they're moral, but they're not Christ's followers. And uh, today we're going to be looking at a couple who go through, man, a, a really hard interruption in their life, but it's God's will. And so today we're going to talk about this because I think it applies to you guys in a really important way. And I'm really excited about it. Um, this message got put together kind of last minute, but I'm still super excited because I think God could use me. And it's going to be great, all right? So let me pray for you, for me, and for the time that it just be, man, well worth it. And we leave here just more motivated to be God's people in a culture that um, really needs to see Christians, needs to see Christ in us, amen? And so let's, let's pray. Father, we're so thankful we get to be here and gather together. It's, it really is a cool, unique thing. And um, we're just so thankful. Uh, we pray for our brothers and sisters Uh, who are uh, in Eastern Europe, who've lost family members, lost their gathering places, and gathering on a Sunday is now a, a heartbreaking, unique situation for them. I just pray that, God, we'd be reminded right now that even though sometimes we don't understand what your will might be, that you really are working. And uh, I pray that we'd open up our hearts right now and see this as a divine opportunity to be in the Word of God, in a building that's not crumbled down, not outside, but together as your people, as a family, and we would be united by the Spirit. So Spirit, dwell here. Dwell here, manifest in our heart and lives, and uh, may we see you move in us in a way that is genuine and not a fake. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this past week, guys, I was reading in a book uh, talking about uh, how to minister in honor shame cultures. And the guy who is, uh, wrote, one of the guys who wrote this book, was talking about uh, being in an Asian country, which is an honor shame culture. Okay, if you've ever heard that term, I'm gonna explain it to you in a minute. But one of the things he said was they were, they were walking around, he's walking around with this guy who's now a believer. And as they were walking around the town, uh, this guy was like, you know, that's my cousin, that's my aunt, that's my, you know, uh, grandfather, that's another cousin I have, that's my brother who lives down there, my sister. And, it, and he finally joked. he goes, man, it feels like everybody in this town you're related to. And he chuckled, and he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he went on to explain this Chinese or this Asian believer that uh, You know, family connections are extremely important, so important. And genealogies are so important that even when they would be playing together as kids, the elders of their community would come to them and make them stop playing the game to test them uh, to see if they knew seven, uh, seven layers of the genealogy, if they could go back seven generations. Because that was the requirement. Because knowing where you come from defined who you were. So the family connections in these cultures are extremely important. You had to know where you came from. You had to know who your people were, okay? And so the honor of your family in these honor-shame cultures would be your honor. And the shame of your family, regardless of whether you were a part of it, would be the shame that you had to carry. And so an honor-shame culture is basically that. It's, It's a culture where your success was defined ultimately, by what kind of honor you could bring to yourself, And if you brought it to yourself, you brought it to your family. And if you did something shameful, okay, that brought not only shame to you, but your whole family. And the pressure in an honor-shame culture is immense. Uh, Ravi Zacharias, who, regardless of how you think about Ravi now, Ravi Zacharias grew up as an Indian in India. And India is an honor-shame culture. And so uh, for him, growing up, Ravi says, or just kind of uh, tells a story that when he was young, Uh, Indian boys went around with books in hand, and the reason why was because uh, what was honorable in their culture was to be the top of the class, to be smart, to be really good in education. And this might surprise some of you guys, but Ravi was actually not great in school. Not because he wasn't smart, because he was a jokester, and he kept getting in trouble all the time. And so he wouldn't pay attention, he wouldn't get his work done. And uh, what ended up happening was, because he kept getting low marks in school, when he came home... Several times, his dad thrashed him abusively uh, because he was not being successful in school. And so eventually, it got so bad that Ravi Zacharias, when he was 17 years old, decided he was going to take his own life. And this is what he thought as a 17-year-old. Here was his reason. He said, a quiet exit will save my family from further shame. The pressure that he felt from bringing, to, to bring honor to his family and not bring shame was immense. And guys, there's cultures like this all over the world, and they have their different brands, and it plays out in different ways, but ultimately, at the end of the day, you had to bring this honor to your family, and it's an immense pressure, an immense pressure. And so in these societies, suicide rates are high, but they're high not because of, uh, of depression, anxiety like we experience in our culture. It's because they're bringing shame to their family, and they don't want to dishonor their family. Think about samurais. When they lose, if you lost, the shame from that meant you had to do something. What was it? You had to kill yourself because the worst thing in the world was to not have honor. Now... Uh, I was reading this book, and it was talking about honor and shame. It doesn't really define what our culture was, but here's how I would define our culture. We're not an honor-shame culture. We're far more individualistic. And uh, because of that individualism, I would say, this is my opinion, that we are more of an acceptance-rejection culture. We operate in a framework that is about doing everything I can to be accepted and not rejected. Let's think about this for a minute okay? Why do we work really hard in school so that I could be accepted in college? I could be accepted by my dad. Why do we work hard in sports so we could be accepted maybe by a coach? Why do we dress in certain ways so we might be accepted by a community? Why do we say or speak out in certain ways about social issues in these contexts and not talk about certain issues in these contexts? Because we're afraid if I say this, maybe I won't be accepted. This is the way we think about it. I don't want to be rejected by my community, right? This is especially true in Cody, Wyoming, okay? Uh, and, and I know some of you go like, well, I'm not scared of what people might think about me in this culture. I'll say what I think. It's like, but you also move to Cody where everyone agrees with you. <laughs> Am I right? It's, I just met a brother I was talking to earlier. He just came from Oregon, and he goes, it's hostile. It's not easy to talk and be outspoken about my political opinions, my opinions on the family or whatever the case may be because in that environment, you're the odd man out. You're the rejected one. And in many ways, you can lose your job. You're rejected from a job, rejected from a community, rejected from a church, rejected from friendships and family. If you... Do not agree to certain things. And so, the immense pressure that we feel and our teenagers feel is they want to be accepted, which I think is wonderful that the mission statement for uh, uh, the Outpost students is to be known, accepted, and taught about Jesus. All right? Because acceptance is extremely important to us. And we don't define our culture by, hey, I have to have honor it comes to my family. It goes, no, I personally need to know am I accepted? Or will I be rejected? And so I think a community within this community, in this nation, that actually does this in a way that in some ways exposes the church is the LGBTQ plus community, all right? Now, some of you are like ready to stone me, but here's what I want to tell you. The reason why they're so incredibly successful and powerful is because they are a community of really potent acceptance. When people who are struggling with same-sex attraction or whatever the case may be come to them, they leave what they feel like is rejection to come to a community that is so incredibly accepting that it's like a washing of freedom and love that comes over there. Now, the downfall of that community is it's a community that lacks truth, and it's not loving to not tell somebody the truth. Am I right? And so ultimately, God is the one who divines truth. And our acceptance is not just to be accepted by men. What we really need in our life is to be accepted by God. That is ultimately what you and everyone in that community and every community across the world really needs. Okay? It's to be known that we can be loved and that we can be accepted. Now, I want to talk about honor and glory. So we talked about an honor and uh, shame culture and acceptance and rejection culture. Are you with me so far? Now, let's talk about why uh, honor, and I'm going to tie that to the word glory, okay? Why is this so incredibly important? Here's what you guys need to know. You don't desire to be honored or just accepted because of some kind of culture that we live in. This is, this is unanimous across every culture. We all want to be honored and accepted. This is not a cultural thing, okay? It's far deeper and far more powerful than that. It's not because you are a sinner that you want honor and glory. It's because you were designed to be in the presence of honor and glory. Let me help you understand this. In fact, uh, in Psalm chapter 8, verse 5, it says, That uh, human beings were made in the image of God and they were, and He crowned them with glory and honor. You were designed, you were crowned with glory and honor. Did you know this? That scientifically, they've proven that biologically, okay, the pursuit of honor and the avoidance of shame appears to be hardwired into your body, into your brain. Let me explain this, okay? For instance, the limbic system in your brain, which is kind of what deals with the fight or flight, what is dangerous, what is not? You all have it, right? Okay? So your limbic system within your brain senses social threats like shame or rejection in the same way that it senses... Physical threats like a lion or a bear. You are sending out radar signals, and if you feel like you're not being accepted, your limbic system will literally turn on and you start to go into a fight or flight mode, right? I hear this with all the guys who come up and teach on the stage. They're like, I'm looking out. They all seem like they're not paying attention. And we like take it personally. And we start to freak out. And we get really hot and bothered. And then you see this like start to sweat and drip like crazy. Because we think maybe you're not accepting me, right? And so the limbic system will turn on. You literally will start to go through fight or flight. And you do this in every environment you're in. You're constantly sending out signals. And biologically, you're looking. Am I okay here? Is this safe? Far bigger than this. this where did this start? Why are we always looking? Well, you got to know that it wasn't always that way. There was a time in Genesis chapters 1 and chapter 2 that reveals to us that we were in an environment that was pure honor and glory, zero rejection and shame. Can you imagine? Of course not. You can't even imagine. In the Garden of Eden, listen, friends, it was an environment of pure glory and honor and Zero rejection and shame. And humanity, who were designed by God, this is according to the Word, which is the only truth in this world, it was designed them in a way to be in God's presence. And God himself radiates glory. Think about this. He's radiating glory like the sun radiates waves down on a sunflower. And just as a sunflower will follow the sun as it moves through the sky, you were designed to be face-to-face with the glorious one. And in that place, you had everything you needed, and there was zero shame. It literally says very scandalously, they, they were naked and unashamed. Right? Naked, which means you have no clothes on. Naked means you're up to no good. That's what we say in the sound. They had no shame, nothing to worry about. They were in the presence of God, enjoying the glory of God. Friends, something you need to understand is underneath the surface of your soul, there has been this longing, and you don't really even know how to define it. Let me show you, but something happens, and what happens is we begin to, not began to, we had a moment where we decided we were going to exchange the glory of God for self-glory. God revealed to us that, hey, there's a way to maintain this glory. and was to listen to him and obey him and trust him. And we decided, you know what? I'm not sure you're trustworthy because somebody came and deceived us and tempted us to go, I don't know that you're trustworthy. In fact, I don't want to trust you. So I'm going to take my uh, gaze off of God and I'm going to put it on myself when we began to pursue self-glory. I will now be the glorious one. And when we take, took that... What was the f- next thing we did? What did we end up doing? We started to feel, it starts with the S, rhymes with aim, shame. For the first time in human history, we felt shame. And what was the next thing that Adam and, indeed, Adam and Eve did when they experienced this shame? What did they do? They, co- they covered themselves with fig leaves. And they, when they heard God, the presence of God coming, they... Hid themselves. It's what your kids do when they're doing something wrong and they hear your steps come, you know, going upstairs. He's coming. Right? And it's what all of you do because we exchanged the glory of God for self glory instantly. We were introduced to this thing called shame. And now they went from knowing the glory of God to knowing shame, and all we've experienced is shame. And in our shame, we constantly are looking out and trying to find these weird creative ways to restore glory back into our lives. So we try to uh, regain the glory on the battlefield. We try to regain the glory in the bedroom. We try to regain the glory in in our businesses or in our boardrooms. And all these things, we're trying to restore something ultimately, guys, that you lost, Something you're designed to have, which is the presence of God in your life, radiating His glory on you, fully accepted by Him. But because God is just pure glory and honor, He cannot allow something shameful and inglorious that rejects Him, that was designed to be with Him, to continue to remain in His presence. So, what did God do with Adam and Eve? He's separated, right? You guys remember this? They're rejected, and they're driven out of the garden. But as he sends them out, he does something. What is it? You guys remember? He clothes them himself. What does he clothe them with? With skins. He covers their shame. Now, it's a false covering because it belongs to an animal. Okay, so now remember that. So why am I telling all this? You're like, what in the world? Matt just read a scripture. What are you talking about? That doesn't seem to relate. Let me tell you why this is so important for us, okay? What does this have to do with the scripture that we're looking at today? And why do we need to understand it? Understanding the similarities and differences between honor-shame culture and acceptance-rejection culture are going to help you guys understand what Joseph and Mary faced. And when God interrupted their story, okay, you're gonna understand what they're going through, what they're experiencing, because Mary and Joseph are not like you. They didn't grow up in your culture and you didn't grow up in theirs, So you need to understand there's a little bit, okay? Now, it's also going to help you see why Joseph is going to seek to control the circumstances in his life, which, guys, in a way is going to actually, in turn, expose yours and my control issues that we have due to our own shame and fears, all right? And finally, it's going to challenge every single one of us to question whether we will bow to our cultural framework of acceptance and rejection or... Surrender to the will of God. And here's what I want to tell you. The will of God is to accept you and to restore you back into his presence. Let me tell you that from the onset. Guys, the will of God is to restore you back into his glorious presence by accepting you. Okay? So now we're going to look at this in this passage. We're going to see just like a boots-on-the-ground real-life story of this happening and hopefully it's going to be something that really instructs us. So we're going to look at three, three uh, points, right, because we're in a Baptist church, and that's how you do this. Okay, so here's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at, number one, God is in control. Number two, we're going to look at the fact that we don't have to fear because He is. And lastly, we're going to be left with a decision that every one of you are going to have to make today before you leave this place, and you're going to have to make it again tomorrow. Will you choose to trust Him? All right? God is in control. We don't have to fear. We've got to choose to trust Him. So let's dive right back into this. All right. So the first section that we're in is we're in Matthew. So anybody download the um, what do you call it uh, the Matthew chart that we put out? Anybody download that and trying to use that? Okay, a few of you guys, like three out of you know what a hundred. And so uh, here's what I want to tell you. It's a great way to help you out. But we're in the first section of Matthew, which is chapter one and chapter two. And I titled this section when I filled out this Matthew chart, which by the way you can find out online. Okay, uh, if you go to, I think, re- somewhere like resources. I don't know. It's on our website. All right, you can figure it out. If you can't figure it out, find a 16-year-old. They'll find it in a second. Um, okay, and so we're in this first section. I titled this first section, which is chapter one chapter two, Jesus' arrival in history. And so last week, we looked at chapter one, which is the genealogy of Jesus, which revealed to us this incredible uh, identity of Jesus, right, that he is the son of a kingly promise that he is the one to come who's going to fulfill the promise of God to bless all the nations. He is the Messiah. He is the expected one to come for the Jews. But for Mary and Joseph, he is an unexpected interruption. You ever had this in your life? An unexpected interruption? Look at verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, which means engaged, before they came together, which means to have sex, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Okay? Let's sympathize with Mary, then we'll sympathize with Joseph. Okay? In the Gospel of Luke, it kind of tells the story from Mary's perspective. Um, The Gospel of Matthew tells it from Joseph's perspective. So, guys, this is for us this morning. Ladies, uh, come back when we're on Luke. That's just a joke. I'm just being silly. Um, So let's sympathize with Mary for a moment, okay? Imagine you're a young teenage girl. You're really excited. You're about to get married, okay? And it's this guy, Joseph. We don't know Jack Billy squad about this guy other than the fact that we're going to find out here in a little bit he's an honorable guy, so he must be a decent dude, okay? So she's excited. It's coming along. Her family's excited. His family's excited. Things are coming along, and all of a sudden, she's pregnant, okay? Not only is she pregnant, she's pregnant in a just like this spiritual, supernatural way that is going to make her sound crazy when she tells anybody. Can you see this? Okay, so she's pregnant, right? Imagine somebody go, hold on, you're pregnant? They're like, what, what's, what's going on? It's like, no, 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 it's, it's the Holy Spirit. You're like, okay, this girl is nuts. Right? Can you sympathize with that? Now, she also lives in an honor-shame culture. Do you think this is going to bring some kind of shame to her family? And that the pressure from the family and the pressure from people finding out is going to be devastating. All right, you could sympathize with that. Now let's sympathize with Joseph for a moment, okay? I think for Joseph, it's way more confusing and difficult because all he knows is that this girl is pregnant. The girl that he is betrothed to, engaged to, is now pregnant. And because they haven't come together, what does he know? It's not his kid, Right? And how did he find out? Did somebody else come like, man, hey, I, brother, I'm sorry. I hate to tell you this, but she's pregnant. like, what? Who, who found out? Who knows already? He's also living in an honor-shame culture. What's this going to do for his business They've worked hard to get together so that he could take, take care of his family? What is his family going to think about this? Are they going to question him and go, brother, somebody's got to be lying. Either she's lying or you're lying, man, but somebody's got to be honest. Can you imagine the pressure of this? Right? Can you imagine? Let's think about it. That's from the honor shame culture. Imagine from our perspective, from an acceptance rejection idea. Think about the pain of the fact that she accepted somebody else and therefore rejected him. You feel that? Like this is really a difficult thing to deal with if you're Mary and Joseph. All right, I think we can we can really resonate with this. And if you guys have ever had an experience in your life where something came along, right? And it's just not what you want. It's not what you expected. It wasn't your plan. So let's read verse 19. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Let's pause. It's given two descriptions of Joseph right there. The first description of Joseph is that he is her husband. Okay, And so it says in verse 18 that they're betrothed, which means that they're engaged, which, which means that we know that they had not known one another, which you know what that means, right? I said it earlier. It means they hadn't had sex. They hadn't done anything to make a baby. So they're just engaged, but it says husband. Now, you need to understand, maybe in your cultural mindset, mine, right? If you're engaged, you're not married and you're not her husband. Am I right? Okay, well, you've got to understand it's not the same thing in Jewish culture. Betrothal actually is this contractual agreement. Now, it's not been sealed, okay? The marriage is not official, but they are in contractually engaged. There's been an agreement by families, an agreement with one another. Do you understand now? Okay, so number one, it says that it's her husband, so Joseph knows it's not his child. The second description is that he is a just man, which basically means that he's a law-abiding man, which also means what? Can we assume he's an honorable man? Yes, no? What do you think? Yeah, he's an honorable guy. Okay? So I've already told you about betrothal and engagement. He's an honorable guy, and so he makes the decision to divorce her. That sounds weird, right? They're just engaged. Okay, again, you got to understand there's a contract that's been made that he's going to marry her. And so there's going to be a severing of an agreement here. Now, this doesn't disagree with later in Matthew 19, where Jesus is going to teach you guys about uh, marriage and divorce and remarriage and all that. He's going to share that. And the reason why he doesn't d- disagree with Matthew 19, for those of you who know what I'm talking about, is because they have not actually been brought together by God. The marriage has not been sealed. The two are not one yet. You understand? So this is not disagreeing what's going on later. This is actual, actually an okay practice. It makes sense that Joseph go, look, she's pregnant with another guy. She sealed herself to somebody else so I'm going to divorce and cut off this relationship. You think everybody in the community is going, yeah, we get it, man. We agree. Would you? Guys, be real. Would you go, yeah, like do. If you're the guy, would you go, nah, I'm just going to marry her anyways? No, you wouldn't. Everybody would be like, yeah, we get it, Joseph. So not only is this decision acceptable, it's probably what everyone would expect him to do. It's an honorable thing to do. But now, let's move on to why the why behind the decision. This is really cool. So remember I shared with you the honor-shame culture? It's like I read ahead and knew what I was going to be talking about. Okay, why does he not want to uh, make this a big public thing? Well, according to Matthew, he says he wanted to divorce her quietly. Why? Why was it? Because he's unwilling to put her to shame. It's actually pretty interesting. Okay? I think to say, it's safe to say that Joseph was av- avoiding additional shame okay, for her and probably for himself and his business. Am I right? Can you feel that? And I think we can also appreciate the kindness that Joseph is showing her. Doesn't it seem like a kindness? This guy's not just an honorable man. He's actually a very compassionate man. But can you also imagine he's really hurt by this? So in the midst of his hurt, he decides to do this quietly. Maybe he could be uh, acting in an honorable way. But here's the thing he's still doing, regardless of whatever, how kind he might be, and go, man, what a good guy, man, that he would do it that way. Regardless of how he's doing it and how he's justifying his actions, Joseph is just seeking to control the situation. Joseph, Joseph is just seeking to control the situation. Because there's one major problem. Anybody want to? What's the major problem so far for Jip right now in this story? What's the problem with his decision to go ahead and divorce her? What's the problem? She didn't do anything wrong. She's telling the truth. She actually has a baby in her womb that's from the Holy Spirit. As crazy as that might sound. So the big problem with this is Joseph is showing what his uh, solution to the problem is, but God is actually has another plan. Do you see this? This is Mary is telling the truth, and here's what we see: Joseph is trying to take control of an uncontrollable or what seems to be an out of control situation. But the proof is, or the problem is, that God is actually the one who's in control. He is actually the one who's in control. So Matthew, Matthew is kind of thinking that when you read his letter, the testimony, you just finished reading the genealogy and you moved into this. So you have seen how God has work, worked over thousands of years, and now you're getting to see God work in a moment, over a nine-month period. Okay? And you saw over the thousands of years that God is in control. He's in control right there in this moment. And so Joseph is trying to seize control. And guys, and this is the wonder of God. This is the wonder and the amazing thing about God. He doesn't work in the ways that we expect. You guys need to get that through your heads. God does not work in the ways that you expect. He doesn't bow down to any cultural frameworks of honor and shame or acceptance and rejection in fact, He works to accomplish His will, despite our broken systems, to restore His glory in our lives through a renewed acceptance. Do you guys know that? God does not care about any of the politics in the United States. He doesn't care what the principal at the elementary school's opinion is. Do you guys know that? I, like My daughter was like late for school. We were having this conversation and she was in trouble. So we, I parked it in the parking lot. She's seeing everybody go in. She's like, Dad, I'm going to be late. And I go, you see that principal right there? What's that, McCartan? What's his name? Uh, and I was like, I don't care what he thinks. I owe him nothing. So if you're late, I don't care what he says. If he goes, well, he's had too many tardies. I go, I don't care what you think. My responsibility is to raise this kid. God is far better than him. He goes, I don't care about honor and shame. I don't care about your acceptance rejection because I actually know what you need. That's the crazy thing about God. He does not obey your rules. He's out of control. He's out of control. But of course, Joseph can't see that, right? He can't see that. All he sees is a problem. His fiance is pregnant and it's not because of him. It's out of control. Anybody ever have a moment in your life where something was going on in your life that was horrible or not what you planned, not what you wanted, and you couldn't see what God was doing? Anybody? Raise your hand. Okay, all of us, right? Some of y'all are going, like, that's my whole life. Well, I sent out a text message to about 18 people, and what a cool social experiment. I sent out emails to you guys to let you know what's going on with church, and nobody responds. All right, but I ask you to tell me stories about your life, and everybody responds. Just goes to show you guys just want to be heard. You know that's really what it is. I want to read you guys some stories I got emailed this week. Just amazing. Uh, My friend Matt Sandoval sent me a message, and he he said talking about this kind of thing uh, that it was the end of his senior year of high school, and COVID happened, and suddenly he had more time than a teenage boy should ever have. And which led to him, even though he had belief in Jesus, it led to destroy his life. And he began to do and participate in things that uh, he said he did not want to do. And it led him to this place of just absolute brokenness and shame. Brokenness and shame. And one night he was in his room and he just threw his phone away from him, fell onto the floor and started crying and cried out to God. And this is what he said. Matt said, uh, he cried out to God, asked for help and said, God, I just want to do what you want to do. I want to follow you. And in that moment, Matthew experienced a, a renewed sense of God's presence in his life, and he says this. I was a believer before, but... Uh, he said, I was a believer before, but I was not a follower. Now I am a follower of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? He couldn't see how all that pain was connected, but I can, we can all now see what God was doing in Matt's life. Amazing. My friend Courtney Cummings who's going to be moving here uh, next month. After graduating from college, she was excited to figure out what she was going to do to serve the Lord. She got a degree in intercultural studies, which is missions. And so she graduated. She was planning to go move in with a friend. She had all these ideas of what she was going to do, to serve the Lord and take the world by storm. But then her grandfather died, and it left her her grandmother alone with no one to take care of her. And her aunt wasn't going to retire for about six to nine months, so her grandmother was alone so she began to pray about it. What do you want me to do, Lord? And the way she said it was, it was like a Jonah experience. And Florida was her Nineveh. She did not want to go. But then she found herself down there. Instead of being six to nine months, it ended up being nine years that she was in Florida. And while she was there taking care of her grandmother, God had a different plan. She began to serve in a local church, and eventually that church said, hey, would you like to serve on our staff? She started part-time, then she worked full-time, and then she spent years helping uh, people come to know and love Jesus. And she says it was one of the best experiences of her whole life. Isn't that amazing? We have our own plans. God's got a different plan. It's out of control. Uh, my buddy Kyle Dewey shot me a message this past week, and he said that for him, they, him in uh, August, Right? They were doing this dating. It was kind of long distance. He was in the military. And they decided, you know what? We're going to put the kibosh on this. We're going to end this. Time to get married. All right, So they get married. And what do you think he finds out right after they get married? It's time to go to Afghanistan. And so for the fir- after working and praying to get to finally be together, now they're going to be uh, literally continents away from each other for an entire year. And he said that year was horrible. He uh, experienced and did things that, felt were, that were dark and broken, and it just really ruined him and his faith for a while. But when he got back, the love of his bride cared for him and restored him, and he says now he's in a place where he just trusts God no matter what's going to happen. He wants to follow him through it all. He couldn't see what God was doing in that dark, broken time, but he now looking back, he sees that God was involved the whole time. Uh, my friends Chet and Priscilla, do you guys know them? He's the, usually the bald guy up here who likes to scream when he worships. Chad, Priscilla, we living in Wisconsin, and uh, you guys may not know this, but Priscilla s- suffered with headaches, and every winter, she would have these just, un- like, never-ending headaches, and if anyone's ever had a headache, all you wanted to do is end, and when you have that week after week over the winter in Wisconsin, uh, man, it just make you kind of lose your mind, so she wasn't healthy, wasn't sleeping well, wasn't doing well, and they were actually, you know, in the process of moving. And so she started to pray that God would somehow help her to find some kind of comfort or at least to trust him in this process. She couldn't see what God was doing. Well, as she began to pray, one day when they were getting ready to move, uh, Chet suddenly just disappeared. And she didn't know where he was. She thought, well, maybe he's stressed out. And he just needs a little time alone. Well, maybe that's true. He went away and was praying. And when he came back, he said, hey, we're moving. She goes, well, no, duh. <laughs> like, that's why I'm packing everything up. He goes, no, no, no. I, God has convicted my heart. And he was reading Ephesians 5 and realized he was not laying down his life for his wife. They were trying to move to some house by a lake in Wisconsin. And he was like, you know what? We're going to Wyoming. We're moving to Wyoming. We're going to get out of here. And they moved from Wyoming. And she's been able to enjoy better health because God worked in Chet's life. She couldn't see what God was doing. And now they've been in Wyoming and they've been helping us to change lives. Amen? Couldn't see what was happening. Let me tell you one more story. My friend Quinn Rivera. Anybody know Quinn Rivera? Okay. Uh, uh, Quinn Rivera is uh, one of my best friends, wonderful guy. He had spent uh, all of high school trying to uh, prepare to go to college so that he could go and get a degree in college that would prepare him to go to med school so that he could one day be a doctor, a dream that he's had. And so he was a 4.0 in high school. He worked really hard in college to become a 4.0 in, in college so that he'd get into the program he wanted to get into. So he finally gets married to his wife, Allie. They do their first year of medical school down at the University of Wyoming. But they find out that in her last year, she's got to go do an uh, internship. And this internship's going to take her down to Dallas, Texas. And so, but the second year of med school is going to take him up to Seattle, Washington. So for their first year of marriage, they're going to be separated for the year. And so that moment, that's not what he planned. That's not what he dreamed. That's not what they wanted. So Quinn, being kind of like a Chet, decided to take a year off med school, the thing he'd been working for eight years to get to. And he decides to take off a year of med school, not understanding what God's going to do. And I trust me, I was on the phone all the time with him about this. And he goes down to Dallas to be, basically just be a, uh, the guy that's helping her to get through her year. Uh, and he decides to invest some time. They meet some friends. These friends say, hey, you should come to this thing called The Porch. They go to this thing called The Porch. It's at a place called Watermark. He begins to research things at Watermark. He couldn't see what God was doing. But as he researched things at wa- Watermark, uh, suddenly a message series came through that Uh, was changing his life. So he sent it to his dad, Carlos Rivera. And Carlos Rivera, when he heard it, I had been working with, Carlos had been working with me and just loving me. He goes, Greg, this is something you need to listen to. So he shared the messages from Watermark with me. I listened to the messages. I was like, this is everything I've been trying to find out. And I was like, this is crazy. And then all of a sudden, Quinn randomly is at an event that runs into some Watermark people. And they're like, hey, your friend should apply to this thing called the Institute. He's like, okay. So he tells me the next day, which is the day after the deadline, all right, I fill out this form online. Okay, I have no idea what I'm doing in my life. I know that I think God wants me to plant a church. I love Cody, but it doesn't seem to make sense, and I don't know what I'm doing. So suddenly I get a text saying, hey, you should apply for this program. So I apply for this program. I'm a friend at the Kleinfeld's house at 11 o'clock at night on my phone. And somehow they accepted me, and I go down to Dallas, Texas, and I'm doing everything down in Dallas. And suddenly we're back here, and outposts exist, and you're sitting here listening to this jack wagon talk. I had no idea. Like, I didn't know Watermark existed. But because Quinn was faithful to go follow his wife and to be a part of her life, it kicked off a series of things that I didn't expect. But the whole time, God was in control. You see what I'm saying? We think we're in control. It's just because we're fools. But really, God is in control, and Joseph can't see that, and we can't see that, but the reality is God is wanting us to understand. We have nothing to fear. This, is, this brings to light the truth of Proverbs 16.9. You guys ever heard this? Proverbs 16.9 says, the heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. I heard a man want to say it like this. He said, every time people ask him, hey, where do you see yourself in the next five years? He goes, I don't know. I've been wrong for the last 20 years. How would I know what the next five is supposed to be? Anybody, is that your story? You had no idea. So the question we have to begin to ask ourselves, right, how do we know what the plans of God are? If we plan our ways, but the Lord sets our steps, how do I know what God's steps are? How do I know what God's plans are? What's God's will? Anybody ever, ever questioned that in your life before? I have. We've wondered what God's will is. And the answer Uh, For Joseph and for us is this. It's we know through the revealed will of God. What's the revealed will versus the uh, general will of God? Okay, The revealed will of God is we know what God's will is according to what God's word is. Now, there's nothing in this Bible. Hey, seniors, there's nothing in here that tells you you should go to University of Wyoming. There's nothing in the back that tells you which girl you should marry. There's nothing in here that's going to tell you what job you should take. But in this is the will of God. And so it's the word of God that gives us our direction. And so for Joseph, that's exactly what he gets. He gets what we all wish we could get. He gets literally God coming and speaking to him. So let's continue the story real quick. Matthew chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. But as he considered these things, behold, or listen. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, "Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her, I, I want to like put all caps underline bold, is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. okay it's not, even as, it's not just crazy that yes, it's true. She, it's, she actually is pregnant by the Holy Spirit, but even bigger than that. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. I love that right here, God is answering what his will is to this guy. He lets him feel all the pain of the fear. But then he comes in and says, do not fear. Hey, guys, what is the number one cause of all your control issues? Anybody know what it is? It's fear. It's, that's, that's the number one thing in making you such a controlling human being. I just took a region test to find out what my hurts, habits, and hang-ups are. Turns out I'm controlling as well. One of my top problems is I have control issues. Is that surprising to anybody? <laughs> okay, you don't really have to answer that. Um, that's just me controlling how I'm going to feel for a second right there is what that was. So control, and it comes from fear. You know what I fear? To be honest... And I, this is I realized recently I don't do a good job of sharing this. I'm really really afraid of people's opinions. I'm really afraid that I'm not going to be loved and then just you're going to do just what my dad did to me when I was a kid and just reject me. And that you'll find the things of the world more important than me. And it can cause me to fall into this fear that falls into these control issues and I'll try to control environments. I'll you know what I do when I start to control Do I I get really quiet or do I talk a lot? Anybody know? I talk a lot and then I'll over talk. And you have your things. But the reason is, it's because of fear. And what are you afraid of most? You're afraid of shame and rejection. You want to know that you're loved and accepted. I don't care if you're the strongest cowboy in this room. I know a very strong cowboy. And he'd say, I just want to know that I'm loved and accepted. That's what we desire. And so he's dealing with fear. Joseph is right because this is going to affect his business it's going to affect his friendships it's going to affect his family right it's going to affect his living situation but our bible tells us that we don't live for the opinion of men i memorized this verse that i'm about to read to you because it's to remind me every time i'm scared of what you guys might think about me that i don't live for you galatians 1:10 you should memorize this for i am for am i now seeking the approval of man or of god or am i trying to please man If I were still trying to please a man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So just as God is not really worried about your little control issues and your little fears and your opinion, he's going to still do his will. If I want to follow Christ, I can't be worried about your opinion and your fears and what you think of me. i got to go, man, I just want to serve Jesus. Y'all hear this? But Joseph doesn't know that. So what he knows is Joshua 1.8. Anybody know Joshua 1.9? Anybody have Joshua 1.9 tattooed on you somewhere? I have a good friend, Arlie Nelson, who's the pastor of the church, got Joshua 1.9 tattooed on his arm, right? I'm making him make fun of him right now. He's probably not going to listen. But Joshua 1.8 says this, if you want to know what God's will is for your life, here's what it is. Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. This is what you're going to speak, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that's written in it. It's going to tell you what to do. This, then listen to this. This is, success, this is the successful life. For then, uh, then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good uh, success. The successful life is one where we follow the revealed will of God according to His Word. Now, remember, the reason this world is broken is because we didn't listen to the revealed will of God in the garden. God said, do not do this. And we said, we will do it in the garden. And instead of enjoying the glory and honor of God radiating towards us, fulfilling what we were designed to have, we chose a path of self-glory. And we've been choosing it ever since. And because of that choice, we live in shame and rejection. And many of you guys feel this in some really horrific ways right now. We all live with a longing for a restored presence of God. That is the dream. But listen to what Joshua 1.9 says. This is brilliant. This is brilliant. He says, God's saying, follow me. Do what I tell you to do. Trust me. And then he says, have I not commanded you? Because I've told you, you you could be strong and courageous, Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed, Joseph, for the Lord your God is what? With you wherever you go. And then the Old Testament is that. Like suddenly the fire of God is the presence of God is with them and they go out. It's amazing. They take the land. They build a temple. The presence of God is in it. It's like the Lord is with us. This is the dream. It's the glory of God. But as we looked at the genealogy last week, did it solve the problem? No. Were they able to keep with the presence of God? No. The Old Testament is actually a testament that you need the presence of God. That's exactly what you were designed for. But you are not going to be able to make it happen. So God promised to be with his people, and he was going to be their God if they would stop seeking their own glory and pursue the glory of God. And last week we looked at the fact that they were unable to do it. He couldn't do it, right? And so this is what we get in Matthew chapter 1. We see this whole Old Testament where the presence of God is what we need, but we're incapable. And then in Matthew chapter 1, it says that the presence of God has come to dwell among men. Verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name what? Which means what? God with us. Listen, friends, listen to me. Every religion of the world says that it's a, a religion is a work of man to get to God. It's a climbing of the mountain to get up to where God is. And you'll hear some people say that, hey, all the religions of the world, they're all right. They're just different ways to get up the mountain. Have you ever heard this before? Here's what I want you to see and understand, friends, is the Old Testament shows you it's an impossible mountain to climb. And because of its impossibility and God knowing it, you can't do it. You know what God does? He says, you know what? I will come down to you. That is Christianity. You can't do it. And so the very thing you need, which is me, you can't have. So what I'll do is I'll come to you. And so we get the Emmanuel, God with us. And so what, Joseph's got fears, man. He's got fears of what everyone's going to think and what's going to happen. Just like you have fears of what's going on in your life. You're like, how's it going to happen? What are they going to think about me? What's my boss going to think? What's my wife going to think? What are my kids going to think? Yeah, all this stuff. And you have all these fears, and it's making you a very controlling person, a very anxious person, and, uh, which is leading you to be uh, kind of a little bit uh, frayed and sensitive. So you're diving into pornography addictions and into alcohol and all these other symptoms of a root issue, which is you just need God. And God's saying, he knows that. And so he sends his son, and for the first time in a human household like never before, God is suddenly in the house of Mary and Joseph. Can you see this? Literally, the the, the baby in the womb, the presence of God is inside of her. Because God knows, friends, what you need. And now the question is, will you wake up and realize that even though you don't have control... Even though that situation is not going to give you what you need, will you look to God for what you need? Will you trust Him? Will you trust Him? And this is the question that Joseph has. When he wakes up, what will he do? Verse 24, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Jesus. The Lord saves. If he, Joseph had it, had it his way, he would have left to avoid the shame. It does not tell you that the shame goes away. You might be going, wow, that's amazing. It's the family of God. And you might be thinking that their whole community was like, oh, this is amazing. It's the Christmas story. Great. Happy for you, Mary. No. They lived with the shame of this. And not everyone around them got an angel coming to them telling them that this is what was going on. Friends, following Jesus is not easy. I told you that at the very beginning. And there's going to be a lot of people around you who do not understand. So Christians, listen to me. There's going to be a lot of people around you who do not understand that you have found something that gives you eternal peace. And it's the presence of God in your life. And you receive Jesus into your life just as they receive Jesus into theirs. And you put your faith and trust in him. And because you put your faith and trust in him, you woke up. And when you woke up, you started to walk and live differently than the world. But a lot of you have figured out that walking and living differently than the world is not easy and they won't accept you for it. Am I right? Friends, I want you to be strong and courageous and know that the word of God has come to you, that God will never leave you or forsake you. This is the beginning. This is chapter 1 and chapter 28. When he gives you the great commission, Christians, what does he say? He says, go and make disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them all I've commanded you, the things not to do, the things to do, the way to live with me. But then what does he say at the very end of Matthew? And behold, I will be with you to the end of the age. Guys, Jesus is with you who cares about the opinions of men. You Christians, listen to me. Who cares? You are not rejected anymore. You are accepted by God and you are loved. You are set free to live courageously and powerfully in a culture that hates you because they hate Jesus. And you go, but I'm free because God accepts me. This lesson is a lesson to me that, Greg, I don't have to fear. My God accepts me. And though the world doesn't get it, he gets it. And for those of you in this room who do not know Jesus, I want to tell you that the thing you've been longing for your whole life, and the worst thing is going to come up, and we're going we're to celebrate. Um, the thing you've been longing for your whole life, let me be honest with you, and you go, ah, you're a pastor, this is what you get paid to say. Fire me. I'll still say it. Seriously. I'll go sell insurance. I'll do whatever else. I'll still say it. And I said it to a man in the gym this week. The thing that we are, all long for is God himself. And guys, that's the reason why having kids didn't fulfill you. It's the reason why getting that car didn't fulfill you. It's the reason why having a new home didn't fulfill you. It's the reason why moving to Cody, Wyoming didn't fulfill you. Nothing will like Jesus. And so the question is, friend, will you wake up and choose to trust him and follow his revealed will or are you going to continue to try to control your environment and hope for the best? That's what you got to decide. Hey, Stan, let me pray and let's worship.